0: I'm Kevin Mims with The Invading Sea, a Florida wide media collaborative that reports on climate change in the state. As part of that effort, we started The Business of Climate Change, a weekly interview with businessmen and women whose companies are either affected by the warming climate or address climate challenges. Today's conversation is with Jacqueline Gonzalez Tuse, partner with the Miami based architectural firm Tuesday Studio, and chair of the resiliency committee for the MRAD Board, which is the Masters in Real Estate and Development for the University of Miami School of Architecture. Jackie, thanks for talking with us today. My pleasure. Jackie, tell me a little bit about how sustainability and climate have become important in your work. Has sustainability always been a focus or has that evolved over time?
1: Um, It has evolved. It started off as something that um, from from a wellness standpoint, I have a child who's uh, suffered from childhood asthma. And I got involved about a dozen years ago um, on, on the on the wellness side of things and the sustainability. I, I chaired the green committee for our child school. I became lead accredited. I started traveling a lot to um, to, to various uh, conventions and learning more about what it meant to design for, for healthy environments for, for children and adults. Um, and as I got more involved in it, um, our studio also started to design uh, for, for clients who were usually interested in, in futurism or technology. And so, a lot of them wanted to to, to be as um, high performing with building as possible. So we were looking at solar, we were looking at cisterns and we started looking at it as a performance as a high design performance. Uh, so both from the wellness side, from the health side and also from building performance, designing um, buildings that produce their own energy or store water um, for the benefit of, of, of the owners. Um, we started looking at it from both sides and that started about a dozen years ago. I became lead then. Um, and every time we travel around the world, what we try to do is we, um, we learn from what our other architects, our peers are doing around the world. We've, we've been to Amsterdam, Copenhagen, um, uh, we travel to every green conference we can just trying to absorb the lessons of what can be absorbed and then tailor it to our specific climate, which is a subtropical climate, uh, here in Miami, because we do know that the climate, um, we are in the front lines of climate change. And, um, this is a place that means a lot to us. It's a. You know, we're, we've been here in this region for many, many centuries, our families, we're Cuban. Um, Miami's been our home all our lives. And um, we, we feel that, you know, it's, it's important if you're designing for the future, which architects always are, that we're as informed as possible in making good choices about how to allocate resources and design uh, both from a resiliency side and a sustainability side for, for the future. In other words, I don't believe you can design a good building. It doesn't matter how many awards you get if it's not resilient or sustainable. We've come to understand that good design, it starts with being responsive to to what the climate and the needs of the occupants are over time. And over time, we're seeing that climate is definitely becoming a bigger and bigger uh, issue. Got it. So Jackie,
0: what are some of the effects of climate change that you've seen firsthand?
1: Definitely, we we see sunny day flooding, we see um, sewer issues, um, septic, we see delamination of, of building facade materials that used to do quite fine with the increased heat and, and the rain, what they call rain bombs. We're seeing levels of rain and precipitation that are, are unprecedented. And the idea of a hundred year storm is out the window. Um, that no longer has any meaning for us. We used to have a very clear line between what was a flood zone and what was not a flood zone. I think what we've come to understand is that we're all pretty much in a flood zone. And that really has, has a lot of implications in what we do. Um, we, we can't pretend that it's business as usual. So we have to design as if basically we're in, um, all, of, all of us in a flood zone and on the building code side, the wind loads keep increasing every time they do it every three years. So the, the wind loads are just getting really, really strong right now. I think they're 180, 190. When, when I was an architect right out of school, uh, I graduated at the, at the beginning of uh, uh, the 90s. It was Hurricane Andrew had just happened and I remember the changes then. And that sh- those changes didn't stop them. Every, every three years they get amended and the winds are only getting tougher. So it, the hardening of the envelope is still very much present with us, but now we have increased rain, we have increased heat, and we have flooding. So all of those things have to be designed for to the best of our abilities.
0: Jackie, what makes certain designs more sustainable or less sustainable?
1: I think that to the extent that you design, there was an old, There's a. some of this is not new. Um, In in the old days when when the first settlers came to Florida and the Caribbean, they they knew that they had to survive in a pretty tough environment with a lot of winds and flooding and bugs and heat. Uh, And they didn't rely on technology as much. Our generation grew up with technology being able to solve for most of this, but we're getting rapidly to a point where we can't rely on technology. And we have to look back at some of the lessons about cross ventilation, Paying attention to orientation, using landscape to help mitigate some of the heat. Um, really, not thinking that architecture can go it alone. Our partnership with landscape architects has never been more important. And I think that even uh, as we understand what it means to, to be in a healthy building, that connection to the outside and to and to, and to nature is really kind of reestablishing that connection. Um, we are humans, but we are also animals, and so I mean, we are we're part of the of the natural realm. And I think. There's a greater understanding that there, there's a lot of lessons in, within nature and, and being part of the natural world and, and using materials that are locally sourced, um, using materials that are not toxic. Don't you know design buildings that cannot cannot you can't crack open a window, you can't have a breeze. You know, you 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 design buildings for human beings that want that, and actually the, even with COVID, you can see. Um, a lot of the learning has been that you can be outside and you can have you need more fresh air exchanges. Buildings, um, you will see as, as a result I think of COVID, more buildings taking on a lot of this wellness strategy which is, has to do with in, in, introducing fresh air which in the old days would have just been cracking open a window and having cross ventilation. Those older buildings were designed for that. Um, we, we've sort of moved away from it and we have to relearn some of those lessons but that's no longer enough. Technology has a role to play because the climate isn't what it was 100 years ago, the climate is is only getting more severe. So now we're looking at even going beyond not being not doing harm. We're actually looking at buildings that can do good. What what I mean by that is that it's no longer good enough to just do a nice design and hope that you know that that's good enough. You have to actually think about in the future producing energy, being net zero carbon, and net zero energy, and that is not easy to do. Um, it, it takes a lot of it, of planning and it takes a lot of good design skills, but it also takes some technology where you can't meet it with just uh, passive measures. So um, there's a lot being asked of of designers in terms of uh, what it means to be sustainable because the climate is no longer um, something that, that we know exactly how to design for. It's getting more and more severe. So our skills and our technology has to keep pace with that. And that's why you're seeing a lot more tools uh, in our toolkit, like BIM and t- so a lot of buildings are being designed and you're modeling how they're going to perform so the, so and that's what I mean by technology. there's a lot more modeling involved with with how we design um, to get to those net zero numbers because you have to know what the embodied carbon is in every material you use. you have to know um, how to maximize the production of energy on a building you know and and then uh, the material selection is huge as well is how do you design non-toxic, locally sourced buildings. And some architects are even thinking that we should be, and I agree with them, a lot more adaptive reuse and recycling of buildings. So the only way we get to net zero carbon is to be smart about what we build new and and when we can to reuse the old. Um, that's that's definitely going to be a part of, I think, net zero future is, is to recycle and reuse what we can recycle and reuse.
0: Got it. So this is a kind of a similar question. You kind of answered a little bit of it, but what should designers and developers be doing more of?
1: Well, I, I'm a big believer that code is important where it's not it's not gonna happen because it's a voluntary thing because it, it is a tough economic environment. And I understand that, especially uh, a lot of businesses have been hurt. But, and that's why I think it should be an even playing field where everybody needs to do the same things. I remember again, going back to Andrew, when we had to change the glazing, for example, to hard, what they call harden the envelope. We had to improve the, the roof. Uh, uh, we have to re- rethink how we do that. Some things were really inexpensive, like adding, you know, attachments to making sure that the roof was designed as a system. Um, rethinking how we design gables, you know, even as humble as a, as the kind of attachment that it had to be, you know, stainless. It couldn't it couldn't corrode. So some things are low low cost, easy to do, and you should do them. And then other things like changing how you think about blazing envelopes or the window that those are much more expensive systems. There was a lot of bellyaching about that at the time, I recall it. And if you sit back then thinking about how much money it would have been to put um, impact resistant gla- glass on all the buildings in Miami and South Florida, it would have been incredibly daunting, right? To think that way. But look at how much more resilient we are because of it. Look at other places in North Florida that, that after the storms came, they flattened entire cities you know, that had still not recovered. So some things need to be part of the code when they're part of life safety or building resiliency for the city and other things yes you can incentivize greater um if you do above and beyond the base but i think we need to lift our gaze a little bit about what the base should be and the base should be about keeping um ours our community viable in the future which means um there are some things that right now are voluntary like freeboard, lifting your building up putting your equipment up designing for floods as if you are in a flood zone. All of these things right now are voluntary, just like uh, impact glazing was voluntary in the beginning. And that, that you could put plywood or you could put shutters, but eventually when I design a new building now, I don't get that choice. It's gonna be you know, impact-resistant uh, glazing. It's gonna be like that, I think, with resiliency. First, we start off by, these are the things you really should be doing. This is the common sense thing that all of us, when we design a new building, you know, please don't put it on septic. You, you, Price in the actual cost of development and, and put in the, the systems you need, lift up the, the equipment so that it's not uh, flood prone, and also you know you have to you have to think about what materials you're using because drywall is not a material you want to have when when FEMA says design below uh, at flood level you have to design flood resistant materials. What does that mean? And I think that's that's that should be part of the code at this point because we know we're going to be flooding, and that will make it much easier in the future for insurance companies to continue to ensure us, which is the other part of this. It, what, what is not driven by code now will be a penalty to those people who didn't think about it or didn't know about it. And frankly, sadly, a lot of people don't know about it. Um, and so they aren't doing those things when they're building new. And that's not even taking into consideration those people that live in ex- and work in existing buildings. But if you're building new at a minimum, I believe you should really be building to what we know to be the needs of the future. Um, and not be building as if that's that's optional anymore. I think I think that really should be at this point codified. Jackie, I think it keeps. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, I think that there's a. I've tried to talk to different uh, developers and, and um, real estate people about it, and I think the, the 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 messaging that is coming out of Brazilian 305 and the Southeast Climate Compact, I think our our region really understands why we need to do this. And the next step now is implementation. So the next step is um, pilot programs to show people what, what they need to do, how they need to build different. And then eventually it does need to find its way into the code.
0: Jackie, what can the Florida legislature do to help?
1: Um, I think that it, it's allocating resources is, is a top priority because this is not something that private sector can handle alone. So it's gonna be a, a partnership between federal state and, and local. And I think, in, in terms of a South Florida, I think it needs to be recognized w- who are the economic engines for the state, and and the resources should be allocated proportionately to keep, you know, to keep that uh, to keep that engine moving. Because South Florida, for example, generates a tremendous amount of income for the state, and I know that we're vulnerable, and there are areas that we're going to have to make some very tough conversations about. But um, when you're evaluating where those out al- those resources get allocated, I think you also need to uh, evaluate. The, the cultural importance of places and the economic importance and where people live um, and, and and come up and, and be at the table with us in terms of master planning. The code changes the are the, our, our industry-led. Um, our, our region actually has the best, one of the best wind codes in the, in the country. And I think we should also lead with resiliency uh, and water and, and increased heat. And, and the world is going to look an awful lot more like Florida. So I think there's a lot of leadership that can come from our region in that respect. And whatever the state legislature can do to support with either funding or, or you know, also just master, it. this is a regional issue. This is not something that cities can take on or solve for themselves. So we do need to have a state participation. It, it is, a, uh, you know, the army corps is coming up with a plan um, and, and we need to continue to work together with communities that are impacted by that plan to make sure that the equitable solutions that, that make sense are, 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 are looked at at, 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 a, at a macro level. It's not a, you know, adaptation is local, but it's also regional. If, if we do something here in South Florida, but they're not doing it as we've seen with, with hurricanes, it, it it you know, it's not, it just doesn't affect one one tiny place, but it will affect certain areas much more disproportionately because of, of population uh, and, and income.
0: Jackie, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Oh, you're
1: welcome. My pleasure.